two with Art Hernandez directing the Cat in the Hat and co-producer on My Little Pony, A New Generation, fantastic artist and director. Welcome back, Arturo, for part two. Nice to be back. <laughs> yeah. And so we were last talking about like our favorite directors, Steven Spielberg, our favorite um, film shot in a movie, which is in the classic, the E.T. meets Home Alone. And by the way, the little boy, I forget his name. Sorry about that. Um, His audition was spectacular. Like I was crying watching his audition because I used to be a talent manager for kids. And I show everyone his audition. He, 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 that was his role. No one else was getting that. He, he, he owned it. He stole it. He slayed it. There was no other kid. He, that, that, he put his name on it. Like it was so moving. Just, oh, yeah. Just in that. It's amazing yeah. how some people were just born to do certain things and he was born to do that role. And, uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and speaking of someone born yeah. to be a director. And, and... <laughs> ah, no. Art but is... no, I, I, I completely agree. Henry Thomas is fantastic. Yeah, but, that's but thank you. <laughs> yeah. And so I believe you were born to be a, a director in animation because like when when they went from 2D to what do you call it? CGI? It was more mathematical. Are you dyslexic? Because I'm dyslexic. I don't know. Is that like because like sometimes certain things I, I, I perform better in certain things and other things kind of like get a little like you said, like more computer or mathematical, like I'm good at geometry, but then when you do like the other kind of things, it, then it gets like, I excel in geometry because of my, the way my mind works, but certain other things you're like, oh, wait, I got to see what, what it means. Cause my mind needs to yeah. see it. No, you're absolutely right. It's funny you should say because <laughs> geometry is the only math subject I did well in. Okay. So and, and by well, I got to see. Oh, no, uh, it's, uh, I got it, A. Okay. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, so I, I'm not dyslexic, but I just, my mind just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. And, and I, again, it was one of those things where I just, I was so used to having a pencil in my hand and I'm so much more, you know, for me, it's all about the visual, right. And, and to be able to translate it that way. And it, it's odd because even now, you know, when I do occasionally draw, it's, it's, it's a little harder directing now because I don't get a lot of time to do that. But when I do, I'm drawing digitally in the sense that I'm drawing directly on the computer screen, on my monitor, on the uh, on the Cintiq. But but it is still that same tactile feeling. It's still being able to hold something in my hand and and put that line down. And that that I think is is irreplaceable for me anyway. Uh, so when uh, when that switch happened, I was wrapping up on uh, Sweating Bullets. It was one of the last 2D movies before uh, some of the others that had come out, you know, since then, like P Princess and the Frog and others. But uh, but that was it. That was kind of like the swan song for Disney at that moment in time. And uh, and so I left Disney feature animation. And from there, I went over to Disney Toons, which uh, which at the time was kind of uh, it had grown out of what was Disney TV animation. It became more the kind of. Um, not farm, that's the wrong word for it, but it became the place where uh, we were more focused on direct-to-video or direct-to-home entertainment. And uh, and so that's where I started working on a couple of things. The first one was uh, was Bambi 2. Was oh, a Bambi we love and, Bambi. Yeah, no, with, again, one of my favorite ones. Um, it's just so beautiful. Uh, Tyrus Wong's backgrounds are second to none. They're, they're, they're gorgeous. Um, and I was brought on to help them do their what they call their 999 pack, which was to 
put together all of the model packs for the different character designs to send off to the vendor studio, which I believe at the time was located in, uh, in Australia. They were handling all of the animation. But the storyboarding, all of the pre-production side of things was all handled here in the States, here in Los Angeles, out of Burbank. And, uh, and so I was working on that, and the director, uh, Brian Pimentel, great guy, uh, he decided they were, they were going to put a song back into the film that hadn't been storyboarded. The problem was that there were no storyboard artists left. They had all peeled off of that project. So Brian asked me, he says, hey, do you want to take a shot at storyboarding? And I said, sure. <laughs> I said, I'll do it. And I got hooked. I got hooked. I got instantly hooked. And that was, that was the start of it for me. So I went from storyboarding on that to storyboarding on a Brother Bear sequel. And then the, um, the Tinkerbell projects came up. And we started working on those. It was also a big transition for the studio because John Lasseter had come aboard running the whole place. And uh, he took the Tinkerbell movies in a very different direction from what we'd started in, which was fantastic. And, uh, and I kept boarding on the Tinkerbell movies. I boarded on the first four of those. And then from there, we went on to uh, doing a Cars World spinoff, the Planes movies. So I worked on the first Planes movie as a storyboard artist. And then I was given the opportunity to be a head of story, story supervisor on Planes Fire and Rescue. Oh, wow. I, I loved that experience. Uh, I think one of the things that I learned, one of the biggest lessons that I took away from my time there storyboarding and working under John Lasseter was the importance of research. And that meant everything. It meant going to, you know, the firefighters, going and spending time with Cal Fire and all of those fantastic, you know, amazingly brave people. Oh, can I give a shout out to Fire Station Number 8 in uh, West Hollywood? Because guess who had to open my door in my cottage? (laughs) It wouldn't open. (laughs) I stuck in my house. And they are the nicest, most professional people ever ever i told him about my podcast they go oh what's the name of your podcast and i go because i go i have a, a fire station dog story and now i'm gonna uh, you know so fire station number eight in west holly thank you for getting me out of my house <laughs> oh that's good that's awesome well good 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 and the guys at cal fire you know the folks there they're all they're they're just as awesome they're fantastic people and and they were so giving i mean they really did uh, yes right Chief alexander yeah travis alexander one of the chiefs at the time uh he led us behind the scenes. We were there to, you know, they were at, uh, over at uh, an air attack base in Hemet. And uh, so myself and the story crew, we got to spend the day with them. Oh, wow. And while we were there, a fire broke out. So we got to, we got to see the planes and the helicopters, you know, take off and land and refuel and, 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 you know, resupply with water and, and, and then FOS check and everything that they were using. And, and I learned a ton and, you know, it, it was a fantastic experience. It really was. And it was, it was after that film that, uh, that things started to change quite a bit in the industry. And, uh, and eventually that would lead to, that would lead to Disney tunes going away. But for me, the biggest thing was, especially in fire and rescue, I realized that I wanted to direct and, and I wanted to, to continue down that path. And it became really clear that the line to direct at Disney was far too long. There are guys, there are people there that, that had been waiting in the wings for their shot to direct. And I was just going to be one other person in line. And for as pixie dusted as I was early on in my career, I got to a point where I was like, it didn't matter if it was Disney. It could be anywhere. You know, 
for me to direct, and I would just I just wanted that opportunity. So after 18 years at Disney, I left that. Oh, was and that it was scary? Not an easy decision. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a little scary. It was a little scary, but um, but I left Disney and you know got representation and turned out I got lucky. Not long after leaving there, I ended up over at uh, Warner Animation Group, WAG, under the Warner label. And uh, they were working on a couple of different projects there. And I was brought on as a development director to help reboot uh, what would eventually become Smallfoot. And so I was on that for a good seven months, helping them get to a point where they could take it from there. And uh, I left I left Warner's and went over to Sony, where I spent three years. And, uh, and the whole the whole uh, idea there was that I was going to come on to help them in story on whatever projects that they needed some story work on while we would identify a movie that would be mine to direct. And uh, and so a little bit into that process, they came to me and they said, hey, we've got something. And <gasps> oh, my said, gosh. So, um, and as it turned out at the time, they were focused on kind of a faith-based initiative. It was a little bit of an offshoot for them. And it was a, it was a little out of my comfort only because uh, you know, being a, a slightly lapsed Catholic, <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, you know. And they said, but it's Old Testament. I thought, okay, well, Old Testament that uh, that broadens it a little bit. At least it's a bigger audience. And uh, and so they they uh, they proposed a uh, a um, a version of the Queen Esther story, which uh, for those of uh, you know the Jewish faith know it well as you know what the Festival of Purim is based on, and. Uh, and so it was great. I had a really fun time on that. We spent 18 months developing that and everybody was super excited about it. And then the studio pivoted a little bit and decided that they were no longer going to go in that direction with faith-based projects. I don't think they, uh, they didn't find the success in it that they were hoping for. And so we transitioned out of that and that gave me an opportunity to look for other opportunities elsewhere. And so that took me to Hasbro, oddly enough. Oh, wow. um, and I'm a huge, I'm a huge toy geek. So for me, that was, that was awesome. Like my office is full of toys. I love and, toys too. Um, I don't have kids, but I have toys everywhere. And and everyone's like, every time someone has a kid, I'm like, here, here's a train, here's um a you know race car, and here's a bear. And they're like, the kids love me. Like King goes, and he heard my podcast. Goes, you sound like Elmo. Like my kids, I go, I'll take that compliment. <laughs> yeah, so I love toys. <laughs> we'll have to trade toys, right? <laughs> no, absolutely. No, absolutely. So. You know, when in talking to them, they they had an opportunity for something that they uh, for a role that they were calling a um, a creative steward, and uh, it was something very new to them. And the idea was was that I would come in to help them shepherd a brand new property, which was very different. It wasn't My Little Pony or GI Joe or Transformers. It was something very new that they had done nothing with. It was a kernel of an idea, and so my job was to take that kernel of an idea and create an entire world around that. And so I would be supervising all of the creative for everything from what would become uh, graphic novels, toys, video games, regular games, uh, a t television series, but it was all going to launch with a feature animated movie. Wow. And we spent 18 months, another 18 months working on that. And we had hired a full crew. We had story artists, we had uh, visual development uh, uh, department, we had editors, we had a production staff, and uh, and then Hasbro bought E1. And as happens also all too often with mergers, you know, 
the new folks in the merger, they have different ways of doing things. They reevaluate every project, oh. unfortunately. Our project was deemed to be overly ambitious. Oh, gosh. So that was the word that was, those were the words used. And so <laughs> they, uh, they killed it. They killed oh. it. And it was so sad because it is, it would, it would have been amazing. And maybe, who knows, maybe one day they'll do something with it. Uh, um, but I had to do what was easily the hardest thing to do in my career because I was directing the movie. And that was to pull the whole crew in and let them know that they oh. were going to be laid off in a couple of weeks. So oh, not easy. Oh, not cheers. Easy, but um, but uh, but I'm I'm very fortunate. They they were all incredibly understanding and and just a fantastic group of people. People that uh, that I still work with on other things and that I pull in with you know every now and then. Beautiful. Uh, one of those people are our director uh, at the time, Scott Cito. Uh, it looks like he will be our art director for this next thing. Um, but, uh, nice. but yeah, and a lot of that is trust, right? You, you, you pull in people that you trust that, you know, well, uh, people that are also incredibly talented because it's like a family. It really is. You know, you, you, we often say that, that, that we spend more time with our work family than we do with our, with our actual family. So you want to make sure that, that, you know, those people get, get along well enough, right. That they bring something to the table. And I have always found that the projects that are the most successful, the ones that that uh, are the ones where people people are fully invested because they got along really well. They didn't dread coming to work, and and that I was really happy with with that culture that we had fostered there. Um, so after that had gone away, oddly enough, I got a call from from Wag again from Warner Animation Group, and they're like, "Hey, we've got something. You want to come over and look at it?" <laughs> so so that that brought me to Cat in the Hat, and that whole process has all been a pandemic process. You know, I, uh, I'm very fortunate in that, um, you know, WAG has a way of doing things where they, they pair directors up so that wait, the, the weight of the project isn't all on one person's shoulders. And it, it, it's honestly really great. And so while, uh, during the pandemic, I'm sitting at home and they did a whole speed dating thing. They, uh, they got a bunch of different directors to talk to one another to see who would hit it off. And, uh, and I, I still remember the call with Erica Rivenel. And uh, we spent a good solid hour on a Zoom call just talking about just our experiences, you know, everything. And we bonded immediately. And she is fantastic. She is such, such a talented person. She's a writer by trade. She had spent something like 11 years as a writer on South Park. She has written on, you know, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. The second one she wrote, uh, she was a writer on the Trolls Projects. She she has done so much fantastic Incredible. work. Incredible. Yeah, and also uh, Oscar-nominated as she was a writer on the uh, more recent Borat movie. Wow. So, yeah, just a super talented woman and um, just a great person in general. And we got along really great, and we still do. And so we have spent, she and I have spent the last two years developing a new take on the cat in the hat and uh, fingers crossed. We are hoping to have a green light within the next week or so. And we are off to the races. So that's where we are now. Oh, you know what? Maybe I can launch. Let me know. I'll launch it on. Uh, give me the month and date. We'll launch this so we can promote it too. Like I'll put it on that. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Of course. Yeah. yeah we're looking at uh, right now. It's a tentative late 24, possibly early 2025 release is what we're aiming for. So fingers oh. crossed. Oh, well, well, we'll put this on before then. That's 20. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. So, so, okay. So you're directing Cat in the Hat. That must be like, I mean, that book, did you, was that one of the, did you ever draw Cat in the Hat when you were little, when you were drawing? Oh yeah. You did? Oh yeah. We, it's, it's funny because we, you know, part of, part of this whole process of developing the project and also getting it to a point of green light is to uh, not, it sounds crass to say, but to sell ourselves as directors, but, but we do talk about, Erica and I talk about like our earliest experiences with that book. And for me, it was sitting in kindergarten in Mrs. Hannah's class on the patchwork rug with all of the other kids and having her read the cat in the hat to us. And uh, so for me, it was, it was like one of my earliest, especially English reading language uh, experiences, because I was, you know, for the first four or five years of my life, English was my second language. My, uh, my folks wanted to make sure that I didn't lose the ability to speak Spanish. And so it was mostly at home, all Spanish all the time. And so, so that book had a huge impact on me and, uh, and it was great to, you know, to, to have it come full circle and now be one of the, you know, one of, of, of the directors on that uh, very iconic project is, is huge. It's huge. Uh, it's like, it's, it, he's like incredible children's story author and like when I write stories I don't run I know I'm not a rhymer like he is uh, I'm more like I, I guess people say I'm a rising Disney's person so uh they go you're a female Disney so like I, I but mine are like more story oriented with characters and stuff like that but the, the rhyming is like sure. with my dyslexia I'm like uh I can't do that kind of thing I just that's amazing and for you can I ask you about the directing so like um from storyboarding to directing like do you have like any um how you go about directing something um and storyboarding how it helps you like how do you pick like when you're at the eyes or it's a wide shot or a close-up or just its hands like is there any kind of you know because we have a lot of listeners that are going this is a very educational show but it'd be nice to maybe if you can give us a little bit of your process yeah i think for me it's a lot of i would say first and foremost is trusting the crew that we brought on and it's trusting the story artists that are working on the project you know, each one of them are filmmakers in their own right you know when they when we are issuing sequences to them and we're by sequences, what we do is we take the script and we break it up in like chapters in a book. And so each story artist is assigned a different sequence. And so when they're working on it, we trust that person to basically be the director for that moment, right? Mm. And and also to talk to one another as story artists so that they're familiar with who has the sequence before them and who has it after. You know, it's a very collaborative process. For me as a director, what I'm looking for is making sure that there's clarity clarity in the image, clarity in the storytelling, clarity in the performance, you know, from one sequence to the next, making sure that, you know, that although I know where, what we're looking at, I know the setting, I know the, uh, the location, that doesn't mean our audience knows that. So I need to make sure that I'm constantly reminding myself as a filmmaker that, that I, I set it up properly, that there's enough of an establishing shot that, you know, unless I want it to be a surprise, you know, unless it's a deliberate choice, that at least we don't lose the audience, that the audience is brought along with it from one step to the next. And, you know, that goes for character performances as well, you know, which is which is why collaboration is such an important part of the process for me and making sure that each each artist is talking to one another, that each department is talking to one another between the story artists and the visual development department, that they are working hand in hand. I found all too often on different projects that I've been a part of that there are lots of times in those departments from one department to the next, that they are siloed and it, uh, 
it gets to a point where the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. And it ends up uh, creating a really convoluted, messed up process. You know, by having the group talk to one another and really have an investment in that way and to really feed off of one another, to inspire one another, it makes the process so much smoother. And it, it also makes it a lot more fun. So, so yeah, for me, it's, it's that, that's, I think, going from storyboarding to now directing, that to me is the biggest thing is to constantly be reminded, reminding myself of what the audience is looking at. You know, that even goes for jokes too. Like oftentimes, like, like we'll tell each other because we'll screen these things for ourselves. It's such a process of evolution where you'll, you'll put the entire movie up on reels. You'll look at it and be like, okay, then you tear it down and you get your notes from the executives and everybody else and you try something new and you move things around. But one of the things that we always have to remind ourselves of is who laughed at what point in the movie, right? And you write that down. You write down, that got a huge laugh. Because inevitably, after the third or fourth screening, people aren't laughing as much anymore. But that's only because they've seen that joke for the fourth or fifth or sixth time. <laughs> but you have to remember, no, that got a laugh and you leave it in. So, oh, um, yeah. so yeah, all little lessons that you learn along the way. Oh, great. And then um, and then so when you work with the voiceover artist, do you wait till is your because I had a director saying that he actually lets them improv first and then he did he did it like reverse. Like, so do you guys do the voiceover after the visuals are all done? Pretty much, pretty much. It, it, it does depend. There are times when you can lock in your talent right away, especially if it is a spinoff or a sequel. Then you know who your talent's going to be and you can pull them in earlier and they can, you know, they can record their lines a little sooner and maybe you can find performance out of that. But more often than not, on an original project, when you're going into your first pass screening, you don't know who the voices are going to be. You have an idea. You have an idea of, of what voice you'd like that to be, the personality, you know, the, 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 you know, which, which star you would like to put in that slot, right. As inspiration. But, uh, but more often than not, you know, you're pulling people in from the crew, myself included to get into the booth and just record the lines ourselves and you get to ham it up, which is so much fun. That I sounds love, like fun. Yeah. I love doing scratch. It's a lot of fun. I'll do some voices um, for me. Do some voices. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so I, I did get lucky with uh, on the my little pony movie on, on the more recent one i am toots i am the pegasus guard and i'm jasper so i got i got i got to voice three characters in that movie and the pegasus guard i think is, is, is still is still my favorite and then there, there's you know whoever has seen that movie it's the first time that the two pegasus guards come around the corner and they spot our two main characters sunny our protagonist and her new friend izzy and one of the Pegasus guards turns the other because they're afraid. So the whole idea is that the, these different species have been have been separated from one another, and they're all of these kind of, you know, um, conspiracies and and uh, and you know, uh, half truths and lies about you know what the other species is like, and so the, the total misunderstandings, and so they're afraid of what Earth ponies. Can do and so the pegasus guard turns the corner and he says ah it's an earth pony <laughs> yeah so um, i might have blown out your mic a little bit but, um, but yeah, i love doing voices and then so so yeah so what we'll do is we'll pull folks from the crew to come in and and just record so just so that we can get an idea of what it sounds like and and so for us on the feature side that tends to be much later when you get the voices and obviously before you go into animation but 
during the storyboarding process, it's almost always scratch, which is a little more fun, I think, because of it. Do you ever have to, like, after they, um, do they ever improv it or, or, or do they always just have to hit the lines? Or is there room for improv then? There, there is room for improv. I have found, though, that it just depends on who the talent is. Some aren't very comfortable with it. Others are. And, Others and are. Others can get into that booth and have a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, there are, uh, we'll, we'll take the My Little Pony movie, for example. I was also lucky I got to voice direct that whole movie. So it, it honed my skills as a voice director. Um, so I can say, for example, uh, with a couple of uh, the talent that we had there, Ken Jung, he's great with improv. You know, he'll take a line, he'll just, he'll read it straight, just as written, and then he'll just start riffing. And then, you know, then we can pick and choose and we can have fun. And, and more often than not, it's hard to just, you know, you know, I, I have to hit, uh, hit mute on my mic. All of the voice directing, by the way, was done out of my home. You know, so I ended up buying a booth just so that I could have a quieter area to do that uh, for a lot of the talent. You know, typical pandemic era, which I know a lot of folks have already experienced this. You know, a lot of the talent was working out of their 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 uh, walk-in closet just to baffle the sound using the, the their clothing as baffled. But um, but yeah, it uh, I think it just depends on I the talent. Here. Depends on who it is. There you go. There you a go. Pillow. <laughs> yeah, a pillow. Whatever, whatever you got. You know getting buried under a blanket with a microphone, whatever it takes. Yeah, but I think it just it depends on the talent, it depends on who it is and, and how comfortable they are in improving. Yeah. I have to give a little shout out to my friend, Jack Levy, uh, the lower bottoms. And uh, he has the best sound and the best equipment. And uh, I said, well, I have just regular plain old sound. And so he goes, we got to improve that. And I go, well, when you have a budget, like your budget, and he shows me his, his castings, he showed me a scene. I was just with like all 20 mics and the people around the, is that like when you, if you did it in studio, do they come in and it's the, the microphones, there's like 30 microphones and everyone's in a circle. That's how it used to be. But now it's COVID everyone's from their home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think even now they've relaxed that a little bit. So it depends on the studio that you're using. Uh, there was a, there's a studio out of uh, Studio City, um, uh, Studiopolis. They're great. They're fantastic. And uh, so it just depends. They just keep the group a little smaller. But uh, but I love that part of the process. Yeah. You know, uh, just getting in there and then just having fun. Yeah. And then do you ever have to redo the illustrations if they improv? Do you have to fix it so it matches the voice and the improv, like the um, scenes then? Uh, it depends. It depends on the, if the expression still lands. Then, then yeah, we'll keep it like it is, especially in storyboarding. It's a little more forgiving, but, uh, but for the most part though, we can usually keep what's there. Oh, okay. Cause if they're improv and you, I really love that. Like just wondering like how you go back to that, um, to fix that. So it matches, but if it is funny, yeah. right. You want it to be funny and, 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 and have a good time. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. Even the emotional scenes, you know, the improv also helps. Oh, great. And then, so, um, let me see, we got a couple minutes here. We might go to part three unless we have, yeah, we literally have three minutes, but I would love to get to, uh, your, your adventure, my little pony. And do you want to come back for part three? Chat a little bit more. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, perfect. Okay. So, um, yeah. so come on back for part three with Art Hernandez. Cause we're going to talk about, um, him co-producing my little pony and we're going to have more fun talk. Maybe we'll get him to do more of his, um, lines for my little pony. And uh, we're going to have more fun. And coming back to part three, thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for making us a top podcast. And uh, coming back for part three.